Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we are your hosts. And today we are thrilled to have Courtney Brame here to talk all about um, his amazing nonprofit, Something Positive for Positive People. Uh, we talk about STIs. We talk about HSV 1 and 2. Um, STI prevention that doesn't translate into any kind of help once you contract an STI or any kind of support um, or resources. And it's just an all-around awesome conversation i had such a blast talking to him yeah he seems really great um i think one of the things that was really uh maybe not eye-opening but really important for me to hear and i think was a really uh key part of the conversation a big a big revelation for me and what he was talking about was um how opening up that level of communication of of the, the communication you have to have if you have an STI and you want to communicate with a partner about it also opens up so much more um and I think that that can be look I everyone says like communication is the key to a lot of great things um but this is a really strong example of how if you're willing to communicate around like something that is more difficult to talk about uh you you don't always get shunned away like you you think you might, and then also it opens up all these other avenues for where you can have um, uh, better communication around all types of concepts and makes it better for everyone involved. And and you really hear this as you listen to the episode, um, as you kind of guys are kind of uh, understanding that 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 aspect around the conversation. It's really great. Yeah, yeah, and what I love is like you know one of the intentions for this year for me was to really bring on more male identifying people to talk about masculinity as a concept and how it affects different groups of um you know male identifying people, penis having people, and I think STIs is one of a, a, such a huge conversation of like um how how are men perceived and like how how is communication perceived especially with like a a a cis hetero you know identifying person um as a black man like there's all these different layers that I just think are are so important to discuss and break down so that we can start to dismantle these um preconceptions and these uh these barriers that we've put up for for these types of communication for the liberation of of male identifying people to like really experience pleasure in 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 a a full all-encompassing way as opposed to you know this linear um p and the v type of uh uh you know type of intercourse right like there's just like there's so much more for for all types of bodies <laughs> to Absolutely. experience than just one thing. Yeah, and I mean, I think, look, I think that it is, it is a conversation that we don't have in our male spaces or male identifying spaces as much as we should. Um, and so I think it's great that, you know, someone like Courtney out there is existing and, and kind of driving this conversation in a lot of positive ways. And I, and I, I mean, frankly, I just love the something positive for positive people. I, I think that there's, it's so easy to be cynical and negative uh, in yeah. a lot of spaces um, that having someone that's like unabashedly, no, we're going to be positive about this type of stuff. It's not yeah. the easiest thing to talk about, but we're going to have a positive outlook. Um, I think that that is a, is not just great to have the conversations, but to have them in that light invites more people in. Um, and, yeah. and like you said, it is something that I think we need to see more uh, in these male spaces. Um, so, you know, he's he's doing great work and I'm, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have such a, an awesome conversation and, and really like talking about stigma and thinking what you're getting at is like stigma and shame around it and that like we can take that away and get down to the basics of, of, of really, you know, what STIs are and, and how we deal with them and how we can communicate and that they aren't, they aren't life enders. Like they are, we are bodies who have viruses and, and things like sicknesses and things that come up all the time. Um, and, and this doesn't have to be like this huge earth shattering thing. Although I would say media and, uh, and, and normative sexual education would like you to think so right um he is absolutely wonderful you guys are gonna thoroughly enjoy so without further ado here we go 
Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited. Today we have Courtney Brame here, who is the founder, executive director, and host of Something Positive for Positive People, a 501c3 nonprofit organization connecting people navigating the challenge of herpes diagnosis to mental health resources. The podcast by the same name serves as a fundraising tool, sharing the stories of individuals living with HSV from diagnosis to dating and disclosure. And to learn more, you can visit www.s pfpp.org. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, I'm so excited. It's it's fun that we have a connection too with Emily, who's one of the board of your directors, um, who's on a Facebook group actually, which is like a sex positive universe for for women um, or female identifying people. And so I think it's cool to that the. the this community is is big, but also relatively small. Like people in like the sexuality space and the healing space, you know, um, is relatively small. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of, especially like when we're talking about SCIs in general, like a lot of the same names typically come up. Um, yeah. There's usually Emily, and then there's um, the uh, positive results. Uh, Instagram page where we're talking about like support groups for women, mm -hmm. uh, women identifying people. And um, there may be like a handful of other ones that, you know, if you've interviewed one of us, you practically become connected with all of us. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to dive right in into your journey and your experience that ultimately led to creating this amazing nonprofit. Uh, so wherever you want to start, I know that that's kind of open ended, but uh, from like the most pivotal point that kind of shifted your your frame of mind and your gears into into this journey. Yeah, um, something positive for positive people really began as a suicide prevention resource. Uh, when I was diagnosed with genital HSV2 eight years ago, I only had a pamphlet from the doctor that diagnosed me. I leave the office, I do my Googling, my searching, and come up with three things manage your stress, worry about your diet, uh, your nutrition, and work out. So those were the three things that I took out of that. And that was all I had for the next four years navigating my own diagnosis. So at some point I ended up coming into contact with uh, herpes support groups and dating apps and resources of that nature. And I began to get into those. Like I became involved and um, I started dating, I started making friends, socializing. And there was a point where I saw that there were a lot of people who were saying that they wanted to kill themselves after their diagnosis. And by a lot, I mean, there's no like 20, 30, 40 people that I've seen. Like that's no matter what number you give for how many people wanted to kill themselves, like it's always gonna be too high. So I saw it once, I saw it twice, I saw it a third time, and it became pro like really prevalent when someone that I had become friends with told me later on that she had also had suicide ideation. And I was like, not you, like, you've got all of the things that people say that they want to have, um, that them not having it makes them want to kill themselves So not having a partner, having the herpes virus and not being desirable, not being able to have sex in their minds. These are the things that warrant their suicide ideation. So after she shares that with me, um, I was just like, all right, this, this, there's something here. So in the groups that I was in, I just reached out to a few people. I made a post actually, hey, would anyone be open to sharing their experience with herpes? There are some people who expressed that they want to kill themselves and I just want to show them, you know, what someone who's living a normal life with herpes looks like. So we can be anonymous. I just want to record your voice and then upload it. I don't have to use your real name, any of that. So I get my first guest and then I share the podcast. I, well, at this time, just a recording. Um, it eventually became a podcast after I got more and more interviews. And so now we've got this podcast feed that's developed as a result of more and more people just wanting to get involved because of that. And I started sharing it directly with people who were talking about like in the forums and the 
chat rooms and everything who said that they wanted to kill themselves as just some form of like hope for them to see, okay, I can't see outside of my own bubble, but perhaps looking at someone else who's putting their bubble on display allows for the expansion of their own bubble. So this perspection bubble began to just expand and increase for different people as I interviewed them and as you know we were all coming together and really building up this community which became the something positive for positive people podcast so now uh well not now but at the point where uh at the point of conception for its development into a podcast I began to see sort of this pattern of there being this interconnectedness between sexual health and mental health. So we talk about suicide ideation and that being something that's more so mental than physical. And it really goes back to people's identity being so interconnected with their sexuality that when they receive a positive diagnosis, it completely shatters their idea of who they are. Yeah. So, um, I love all that. I, I, I'm just going to pause you for a second because I'd love to just dive in a little bit deeper to some of this and come back to um, as this starts to take off and as, you know, you're creating a space where people uh, can listen to others who have, um, you know, resumed an, a more normal looking life or are able to live with it daily and and, and have relationships and, and uh, you know, have a um yeah, just have a better conception of who they are as like a, a person who's valid and, and gets to exist in the world. Um, and so I'm wondering for you personally, getting this diagnosis eight years ago, like what other than those three pieces of, you know, information, which feels like stock information from like a pamphlet that's just pretty generic, uh, like, what was the messaging around sex and sexuality that you had received, like, in your upbringing or um, even by your peers? And, like, how did you internalize what a diagnosis like that meant? My internalization of an STI diagnosis was just that I failed. Uh, the STD prevention measures that I was taught, shown, uh, given examples of which were wear a condom didn't work you know I, I did that and I still ended up getting herpes and after my own research I learned that herpes is passed on from skin to skin contact a condom only goes down to you know just a little bit higher than the base of your penis and you know it may even climb up a little bit higher than that so while a percentage or fraction of your penis could be exposed to skin contact there's the entire like pelvis region and then there's also oral herpes and then there's also genital herpes and then there's uh the stis like i was more so warned about presented physical symptoms to where you'd be able to uh, look and see if someone had an SCI. You could smell if someone had an SCI or that person would be in such physical discomfort that they wouldn't want to have sex. So that was where I was coming from at that point in time. Yeah, and so so then, because uh, I'm curious, you, you, you sought out or you were able to find these support groups like four years later, but what was that four-year period without a lot of support and also like so you know as a as a female like I grew up I able to talk to my friends about sex able to talk to my mom to a certain extent and I you know even about STIs although I don't know if I would have been able to breach that subject but like was there anyone to turn to was there any kind of uh, dialogue that you could have around this like um was that your experience or was it just four years of basically like silence so what I've come to realize through not just my experience but a lot of other people's experiences many of the times the way that we receive our diagnosis shapes whether or not we disclose and how we disclose as we oh, move interesting. forward. Mm -hmm. For many of us or for some of us who that doesn't necessarily apply to, oftentimes our first disclosure shapes how we expect for the next disclosures to go. For me, my grandmother's a nurse. She happened to have been there. Like I was living with her when I had my first symptoms and my oh, mom okay. 
be over. And I was like, we need to go to urgent care right now. So my mom drove me. And so these were the first two people to have known. When I got home, I sent a couple of text messages to my most recent partners over like the last year, just asking if they had herpes. Like I didn't go into any additional details. I hated you have it. And then one of my partners at the time was just, she had this kind of like, well, if you got it, I guess we both got it now. I'm fucked kind of thing. But later we found out that she hadn't gotten it. So I don't know where I got it from. Can I curse on this podcast? I think I just said, all right. (laughs) You can absolutely fucking curse, yeah. (laughs) All right, because I was trying to hold it back. So Uh, yeah, (laughs) it went from from that to me, us like trying to resume a relationship with one another just because it was easier, which I highly do not recommend. Like going back to a relationship out of convenience for any reason. So uh, obviously that didn't work out uh, pretty quickly into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, one of the first people that I disclosed to was my next partner. I let her know, and she happened to have known someone close to her who also had genital HSV two. So uh, we moved forward and we dated for a few months, and the relationship ended, and I got back with <laughs> my ex girlfriend again. Sure, uh, we were- <laughs> as as we do, right? Like it's like, well, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah. it was just convenient and it was easy. And, you know, no real questions asked. There's no conversation about it, really. Like, we're doing what's familiar. So that relationship, after that one didn't work out, <laughs> well, somewhere along the lines, I remember telling one of my closest friends, I was like, man, um, he had disclosed, well, he had told me, and I, I say disclose, but he had disclosed to me that he had twins on the way. And I remember being like, damn, man, at least it's not herpes. Like, I would have rather had twins than, than have herpes, right? <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's it. Like, so-and-so has it. And he told me that someone that he knew had it. And uh, I guess, like, at some point he told her and we ended up hooking up, getting together. So it worked out for me. So at this point, I've had nothing but positive experiences with my disclosures. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I get on Tinder after my breakup and after, you know, walking away from my ex. And I remember that this disclosure that I had was probably one of it was the worst uh, of Mm -hmm. all of them. So um, we're messaging on there and I'm thinking to myself, all right, when am I going to tell her I have herpes? Because we've been texting for a while like through Tinder. And I remember her being like, oh, you know, something about having really bad, like chronic asthma or something along those lines. And I go, well, we all have our health conditions. You know, it's just like when I found out that that time that I found out I had herpes. That was the last of our messages to one another. (laughs) Oh, no, God. And I feel like, you know, I've actually done a lot of research into into HSV-1 and 2 and, um, You know, there's so much misinformation out there. And also, like, particularly in the United States, we have such a stigma around it. But if you look in, like, Europe and other countries, like, we, they do not treat it like we do, like, the fucking plague. (laughs) You know, like, it is so unbelievably common. It's, it's, it's pretty astronomical. And, um... Just to add, because I feel like this is just such an interesting thing to keep coming back to, like, it actually has, like, healing properties. Like, there is, there, your body has, like, the ability to fight certain diseases with the HSV strain. Like, um... Yeah. Anyways, I think that that's just like something super interesting to talk about because especially with COVID and stuff like that, like there are advantages to this particular STI that we don't talk about because we want to marinate in this like shame and this destructive um, conception of what these things are, you know, because it has to do with sex and and everything like that. Thank you for sharing all of that. And so then going into these groups and finding that people were struggling with it in a way that um, was much more severe, um, I'd like to continue with that of how how recording other people's experiences changed into um, – yeah, it changed into this nonprofit company uh, and this podcast that that's flourishing. Yeah, so having started as just the interviews and getting tired of sending it to individuals, it made more sense to upload it somewhere where I could just send people to a link. And then after sending the link got old, it was like, okay, Courtney, why not just make it into a podcast? So now 
putting it up there and allowing it to go out to everywhere and be the herpes podcast or whatever it was that it needed to be in order for people to find it that was just the next step for it so throughout this um i think i maybe have gotten probably to close to 100 episodes before i started questioning all right well where is this going what am i doing with this like am i just going to keep recording conversations and uploading them or what like there's clearly a problem here um that like you and i were talking before the podcast before we started recording here about that intersection of sexual health and mental health and just how it's so interconnected and me being you know not necessarily a mental health professional or a medical professional or anything am i qualified to do what needs to be done uh now that i have this in my range of awareness right Mm -hmm. so tapping into like the journalism piece i'm investigating something like i see a problem and i'm asking the people who are impacted by the problem what their experience is so that i can present the solution and so the problem really centers around std prevention efforts ending at once you get an sti so once you get an sti once you receive a diagnosis std prevention efforts just kind of throws you to the wolves that's all there is and then here comes the support resources of something positive for positive people and several other um, education advocates, sex educators uh, that I try to bring in to provide that professionalism and the data, the statistics, which I stay away from. Um, these post diagnosis support resources should be integrated with SCD prevention efforts because there's just don't get an SCD. And then there's, okay, now you have an SCI, now what? Those aren't together. The masses hear the message of don't get an SCD, but then you gotta go to the underground. You gotta fucking go through all of these obstacles and challenges in order to get access or even have the range of perspective to look for resources after you receive a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and having it all in one one place is so useful. And I really love your comment about the idea of, yeah, we have a lot of prevention strategies, although I think that's relatively limited as well as our scope of sexual education in terms of like boundary and communication and, and consent. Um, and so I think that carries into like, what happens if you get an STI? <laughs> like what happens if this natural thing, right? Like we get viruses and we get, we get little bumps and things all over our bodies all the time and so what happens if that natural thing happens if you're having sex um and just happens to be in the genital area and and so I love that and so I have one more follow-up question about your experience as well with this is was it was it natural and like did it just feel um I'm curious how it felt to be very visible with this and to be at the forefront of sharing these stories sharing your own personal experience and sort of paving this way in in an environment that um you know initially was barren and and somewhat hostile depending on who you're talking to yeah I haven't had any negative experiences. I expected like being a black man and looking at how uh, like Usher, for instance, when the allegations toward him about having or giving someone herpes, whatever it was, I don't know if it was confirmed or not, but uh, whenever that was going on, it was like, damn, I can't let anybody find out about this or that's gonna be me. Like that and just seeing how the media just shits on people who have herpes. They're like, oh, yeah, you don't want to get herpes. Herpes is the punchline. Punchline herpes, 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 like left and right, especially after you get the shit. Like it's those jokes are everywhere after you have it. Sure. Uh, yeah. For me, I haven't faced any negativity. And part of me wonders if it's because of how I'm approaching it. If mm-hmm. I were to be someone who had just come out and been like, hey, I have herpes, period then other people have whatever perceptions of them uh, that they have, you know? So whatever it is that a regular person 
who hears someone say they have herpes is going to think in their mind is often in relation to their last interaction with the word herpes or stigma. So if all they're hearing uh -huh. are herpes jokes, or if they've gotten their education from the media or someone who doesn't have herpes and has no idea what it's like to have it, then they're generally going to have this misconception about what that means and it also depends on who it's coming from so if you're hearing your friend that you know and love and you know had only been in monogamous relationships and did everything perfect and right and accordance to uh, what std prevention efforts say that person tells you they have herpes it might make your head explode because you're like damn how'd that happen to you right totally so mm -hmm. a lot of these things factor in so for me I think coming into it like, all right, yes, I do have herpes and I'm helping people navigate that. Like, y'all don't know what this really is. Until I got herpes, I didn't know that there was a such thing as an outbreak. So what I was having with my initial symptoms was an outbreak. And I thought that my dick was just going to always look this way. But no, you take the medication for three days and it goes away like nothing happened. Like, I still can't believe that that cauliflower, you know, texture and what it looked like. Uh, it looked like, you know, like a little fucking quarter size head of cauliflower on my dick. And it mm -hmm. went away. And now it's back to what it looks like now. Sure. And I would have never known that. And I think that people think when they hear so-and-so has herpes, like, that's what they believe that person is always dealing with forever maybe mm -hmm. going out and having sex with people like oh my god you're having sex with a penis that looks like that ew you're gross and that's not sure. the case and people just don't know that if they don't hear from you know someone like me who has the people call me brave all the time and shit and it's not it's not bravery it's privilege more than anything like i have not have my income impacted by this because I work with my friend who doesn't give a fuck um, and I also work for myself so none of that really impacts me like it would someone who has to work in an office setting like I've worked in office settings and you would never fucking catch me letting someone in my office know that I had herpes at that point in time so now that I'm like out of that and I have the privilege to be able to speak on it I think that it's important to be able to exercise that um to get people to understand like yeah you're looking at it this way like a joke and for the physical symptoms and everything but we have to understand that we're just not generally educated about this virus or what people who have it are going through like we just look at the person like they are the virus like we're, we're viralizing the human here when yeah. in reality we need to see the human as someone who just happens to carry this virus yeah um i love that i think that's so so unbelievably important and and so um and i just want to apologize i i wasn't trying to um it, like lead to say that your experience had to be one way i was just curious if anything did come up with being visible you know with with this diagnosis and with talking to other people about it because I know for me hosting this podcast and sharing about my own intimate life and my own journey and exploration um, in a similar way of like I don't have any expertise it's really to bring people on and get curious about what they're into like I had a lot come up of my own like oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm sharing a lot and like what does that mean about me and like what do people think you know and then having to choose to just continue because I don't care but like those things come up so I'm always curious if if that experience resonates with with other guests or with other people who are you know similarly stepping out into the spotlight in a way um that that like that's coming up for them so I just want to clarify that just so that um I hope you didn't take it that way <laughs> no I no I didn't I, I feel like now I answered the question wrong <laughs> no, no, you didn't. If you want to expand on that, um, I would love to hear it. If you, if that has something, if that resonates at all, but <laughs> otherwise, I think you did it lovely. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess like stepping into the spotlight, so to speak, and putting myself out there. Like, you can't just put yourself out there for one thing and not, you know, a little bit more. Um, I don't think that I ever want to have the reputation of being herpes guy or herpes podcaster. Sure, or any of that kind sure, of sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so it it expands beyond just 
my STI status. It goes into sexuality. It goes into what pleasure looks like. It goes into um, the sex education that we're receiving, need to receive, have received. It goes into, you know, dating. It goes into managing relationships and it goes into mental health. So while it started super like narrow-minded and tunnel vision, stepping into the spotlight slowly began to just expand into a little bit more, a little bit more. And I think yeah. there's probably a certain point where, you know, maybe like when you can't bend your hands anymore, <laughs> so to sure. speak, metaphorically, <laughs> metaphorically, yeah. Like, metaphorically. Yeah. perhaps there's too much. Um, but I think that I've done a good job of deciding, okay, here's what I'm going to put on display. Here's what I'm comfortable totally. with. And I can expand on it uh, to the extent of other people's identities or uh, personal information and freedoms being uh, infringed upon. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I echo that as well. And um, it, it is an interesting, like, you know, dipping your toe in and then expanding and being like, okay, this feels okay. <laughs> you know, we're still, we're still figuring it out. Um, and so I'd love to discuss a little bit, you know, I've, I've had a lot of women or female identifying people on the podcast, specifically to talk about STIs and specifically to talk about pleasure and their experience, etc. And so with all the interviews, interviews that you've done and with your own personal experience, I, I'm, I'm interested like how it's different for penis having people because from my point of view, there is so much toxic masculinity um, and forgive me for that buzzword, but there is there's just like so much pressure on men in very specific ways and I think that there it, it varies depending on you know whether they're like depending on whether black indigenous people of color or white man you know like there there's just like a cishet person um and so from your experience and, and anything you'd like to share to that end, I'm curious of of what's, what's come up around this idea of masculinity and identity around that and, you know, in the face of these mental health issues, in the face of STIs, in the face of, of transparency, of talking about this stuff in general in, in a more vocal manner. I love the way that you ask questions. Like the way oh. you're asking me things that I don't get asked, and it's exciting. Thank you, I appreciate. Oh it. yeah, thanks. Oh, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, um, I heard a few different questions in your last question. Yes. <laughs> um, one of which was, uh, I guess, speaking from a cisgendered heterosexual male perspective, um, sex looks really different for me than it did before I had herpes. Like mm. I think that. Um, society, the media taught me, all right, here's what sex is supposed to be like. Don't get attached. Uh, doggy style is where it's at. Um, and sex is intercourse. Make sure you get hit. Like these were the messages around what was supposed to be pleasurable. Um, and then when it came to STIs and pregnancy, like I use a condom to not get anyone pregnant. You know, I just knew that if someone had an STI, we wouldn't be having sex because they wouldn't want to have sex because they have an infection because infections hurt. Right. Sure, sure. That's not how that worked. No. Um, <clears throat> probably when I got into my diagnosis, maybe a year or, or maybe five or six years into my diagnosis, shortly after I started the podcast, I started having more conversations with people outside of what I was normally attracted to. So like I had a very specific type of partner that I would go for. And then having my options seemingly limited because of my diagnosis, I had to expand on that, right? Mm -hmm. So looks became, I mean, looks were always important, of course, like that's the initial point of attraction. But sure. after that, it became conversation like how well do we connect beyond just the physical and then getting to a space of hearing all these like having conversations with so many women who have received the herpes diagnosis or an sci diagnosis period and then talking about like the relationships that led to whatever point of which uh, they express things like being in some sort of a toxic relationship or an mm -hmm. abusive relationship and things like that like hearing these kinds of things made me really uh more compassionate toward 
the way that women are seen in society. So, you know, taking it back, look at how I treated sex from what I was taught from the media was this is how it is. And then learning through conversation that sex is so much more than just like putting a penis into an orifice or some type of a hole, right? Totally. um, it opened up the door for dialogue. Um, it encouraged me to have conversations and ask, you know, hey, well, what do you like? And when like a revolutionary people, question, isn't it? <laughs> here's the thing. So women's heads explode when I asked them that. Um, I've been in a relationship. Uh, what was it? it was for two years. I was in a relationship for two years, like as I was having these conversations uh, early on and learning about like pleasure and sex beyond intercourse um and when i got out of that relationship and started dating again like that was the fucking head exploder question like all right well what do you what do you like sure and learning from that perspective of just navigating like the conversation of what pleasure looks like for different people in their bodies has really expanded my own perspective because you know you can line up 10 people and ask them what their favorite thing is and everyone could say something different and that's like what's so wild to me and with that like you have in your range of perspective different tools to use in order to navigate that as well um so going into dating and being able to ask that kind of question and learn how important communication is and then like know myself and then like have a willingness to get to know a partner and create like this safe space of comfort for them to be able to not only ask for what they want, but to also like be able to say no. Um, I can speak to a few different experiences, but one in particular that sticks out to me was um, one of the first sexual partners that I had after being single again. She came over, we were talking, we made out on the couch. I started taking her pants off and I asked her, I was like, hey, do you do you want to do this? And she goes, yes, but, and I was like, stop right there. Like <laughs> she sure. said, yes, but, and yeah. we, I was like, eh, that, that wasn't a yes. So we can just sit here and hang out. So we hung out and she went home. Um, her not saying yes, period was something that made me hesitate. Like I, I had been taught up to, you know, recently mm-hmm. learning about uh, like sex positivity and everything that no means yeah. try harder. And in that instance, yes, she didn't say no. So old me would have just kept going like, oh, yes, but oh, well, let me convince you. That's what it would have been. So Mm -hmm. having this understanding um, to bring it full circle, like we talked about it and um, we talked about it much later. And I was like, yeah, so why didn't you want to have sex that night? She was like, well, I just left from hooking up with my ex. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I was yeah. like, okay, all right. I appreciate you telling me that. Totally. <laughs> but um, there's, yeah, there's just this direct correlation between like an inability to say no and the ability to ask for what it is that you want. Um, yeah. Working, like, learn to speak to that because there's definitely like slim gap there that I want to be able to speak to. But it's also something that comes up like not only on the podcast when I'm interviewing people, but also with partners, when I'm communicating with them. I do not know if I answered your question. You did, you did. There's another piece of it that I want to get back to, but I am curious about for you. I I love everything you said, and I think that that is the importance of like whatever means we find our way into enhancing our ability to communicate and speak our needs and understand our boundaries and our own bodies so that we can understand like what we like I'm wondering if if it also encouraged you not only to ask but then to get curious about your own pleasure experience of like what do I like and 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 what is possible for for me outside of this like you know construct of like p and v and I gotta you know get my dick sucked and like that that's like it right then I get like a notch on my belt and I'm like woohoo I did it I'm done (laughs) damn is that what we sound like (laughs) no I mean I'm just (laughs) quoting what you were saying earlier (laughs) but like that's kind of from like all the 90s and like 2000s movies like that's kind of what I gleaned from it right was like that this is like the takeaway of like yeah I did the thing and now I get like this reward yeah um 
so it's adding kind of to that because like the music did it too like the music just really glamorized these totally. you know, two three positions i can quote like 10 songs off the top of my head that say something like fuck a bitch from the back come in her face blah 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 but yeah, like sure with just being present with the person and finding yourselves rolling around in the different positions you're like oh shit this feels good or oh this is comfortable um right. and then like having again you know expanded my type i guess i don't know how i would word that but yeah, yeah. being willing to explore yeah of like different lifestyles and things like that like i've gotten into non-monogamy and understanding like what that looks like from an ethical perspective not just being single and being able to fuck whoever you want but having multiple relationships so like i personally identify as polyamorous uh Mm. and i see that as all right i am having multiple relationships yeah you know regardless of if i'm only seeing one person you know at the time at this time like that's still something that's there i would have never come into Uh, a space where I've learned about that. And what's so beautiful about it to me is that it's almost the baseline or the expectation that there's going to be communication about the relationship. There's going to be expected communication about boundaries. And there's no real assumption about Mm -hmm. what those relationships have to look like. Whereas, you know, old me had this assumption about what had to look like like we're gonna date we're gonna only have sex with each other we're not gonna look at other uh of the other sex we're only looking at each other we're Um, just gonna pretend like we have blinders (laughs) and that we can't actually see other people yeah (laughs) Yeah. but um yeah just like learning about all of that and then like bringing sex toys into the bedroom like there's there's just been so much expansion that came as a result of this like minimalization of my sexuality because of my herpes diagnosis yeah i love that and i i I love the idea that because this has been my experience too and everybody that i've talked to like when there is enhanced communication and when they're like i think one of the things i took away from your story about consent is like an enthusiastic fucking yes i want to fuck you is like the best thing ever and then everybody's having a good time like how how awful is it to have like mediocre sex with somebody who's not really that interested right like i don't understand why we promote that because it's just like it's not great for anybody truthfully like it can't be there's just no way if you've experienced the other side of it um so so yeah I love that and then so the 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 other part of this question and you know forgive me if I'm not wording this correctly um and if this isn't part of your experience you can let me know that as well but there as a black man navigating the masculinity idea and and also you know uh, the fetishization, fetishization of, of, I don't even know if I got that word right. You get it. Um, of black men, uh, you, you know, particularly within within this country. Like, I, I'm wondering if you butted up against anything like that and around this space and in this journey of, of even talking to other people. <laughs> I love just watching your face, like, why I'm asking questions right now. Because I'm like, am I hitting something? Um, but yeah, I, you know, as you've um, proceeded on this journey and then created this space for all types of people to interact and to have resources. All right. Um, I heard a lot in that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, that is a pattern. That's just like how I ask questions. <laughs> I was, uh, so the first time that I had sex with someone outside of my race, it was with a white woman. And uh, she said something that she shouldn't have said while we were having sex. But I came so fucking hard. And afterwards, I was like, hey, listen, you can't do that no more. Like, you can't say that ever again. <laughs> totally. <laughs> we're, we're not going to say what she said, but that was a thing. Um, yeah. And I think that that kind of like set the tone for what I expected moving forward. And when it wasn't that, then it was like, oh, okay, that's, I I have something to compare that experience to. Um, So this would be an example of a time that I experienced some sort of fetishization. And I know that it happens. I try not to entertain it so much. Um, But there's also times where you don't know that it's you don't know that it's a thing until it like comes to the surface one day. You're like, damn, 
how long you been like looking at me this way? Or how long have you been thinking about it like this? So for yeah. instance, like I won't date someone who says they only date one, they only date black men. Like that's, right. that's been a big thing for me uh, yeah. lately, not in the beginning, because to me at that point in time, it was like, oh, cool, your culture, or like you understand. That was kind of like what it was for me when dating white women, uh, when I started dating outside my race, when I started dating white women. And so now that's been a big thing for me, like a huge red flag to watch out for if it's just someone who's like, yeah, I only date black guys. Um, then what was the other part of your question? Something about navigating the fetishization? Yeah, well, is there any messaging like within the black community around STIs that oh. is like, I don't know if there's any specificity, but that like, you know, that's that's different or that resonates with you in a different way about like how it is spoken about, um, yeah, within, within that aspect. Yeah, um, unfortunately it's not. And so okay. for me being, I think that that's why it makes me being in this space so much more important because yeah. black people do eventually at some point find me when black people find me there's this like overwhelming sense of relief for just like being represented being seen um and granted like this speaks more so to like the shame and everything because where we make contact initially is often on social media um maybe they just message me we only message they come they get what they need and then they go on about their business so like people will often just not follow my Instagram page or social media pages because of fear of by association being figured out for having herpes oh, or an STI. It's like, why are you following a sex education page? You must have an STD. That's kind of what the general thought process is, or that's what we expect uh, when, let's say someone scrolls down our following or who we follow list, and that's just going to happen to come up. I always tell yeah. people, you know, if they know who I am or what it is that I do, and they know you follow me nine times out of 10, they got here because someone directed them there, or they're dealing with some aspect of sexual health related stigma themselves. So what's the big deal? Um, I just recently like looked and I looked through like my messages and I looked on my podcast feed and I realized like maybe one out of 15 black people that I converse with are open to or willing to take the conversation beyond just our messaging and mm. perhaps share their experience uh, that let, to let me just read it on the podcast or even have me interview them. And I think that that kind of parallels the representation of like my following even. I would okay. say the majority of the people I engage with are not all the way straight white women. And then from there, it's just like, it, it's not, very colorful so to speak gotcha yeah um, that's so interesting yeah i i um yeah thank you for sharing because i do feel like um what you're saying about it being representative of the the community and the na the nation at large you know about who has permission to talk about these things is more straight ish white women you know like i think we've we 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 don't have some rights and we're still fighting for others but like there is some kind of permission there within our our fluidity of sexuality and such yeah and i don't want to like you know shit on anybody who's able to no and be open about their status it just so happens that the majority of people who have that you know same privilege that i have in being able to speak about it are sure. typically just cisgendered white women yeah yeah um amazing well this has been super awesome so i just want to plug again how people can find you on both instagram and um the podcast if you can just give that information we'll put it in the in the show notes as well but if people want to contact you message you follow all of the amazing updates and you know tap into this amazing nonprofit that you've created all right how much time are you giving me for this <laughs> However much you want, you, you right. run. Well, um, the website is something positive for positive people. The acronym www.spfpp.org. It is again a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are struggling with SCI stigma to mental health resources. Right now, we've gotten 13 people uh, into therapy. We've been able to pay for it uh, in full upfront. Oh wow. Uh, 
you all have received 12 sessions. Um, yeah, oh wow, but that's not sustainable long term because like the sure. donations that come in <laughs> don't sure, matter. Sure, sure. So yeah, a lot of that had to come out of my pocket. So we're gonna oh. group therapy <laughs> uh, now. Um, and I'm still partnering with therapists and negotiating the rates so that I can get people into uh, their own sessions. But I'm also finding therapists who are able to provide group therapy as well so that we can get more people um, in at a time and people can receive that level of support uh, from a licensed mental health professional. I am on social media at H on my chest. If you want to donate and support our causes, you can go to the homepage of spfpp.org and you can make a donation via PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. Was it Cash App? Or you can become a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers don't get any extra though. I'll make sure that everybody knows that because I don't feel like this content needs to only be exclusively limited to the people who can afford it. Like I want Have people a pay to find it, come get what they need and then leave. So I'm very transparent about that with people who think that they're gonna get like free shit or extra stuff through Patreon. I mean, I'm, I'll talk to you, but I talk to everybody. So that's not really anything. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Um, well, amazing. And once again, those will all be in the show notes, so uh, you can you can see them in text form as well. This has been amazing. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking so much time and for sharing so openly. I I've had a blast, and it's just been so lovely to virtually meet you. Thank you, Jerry. You too. Yeah. Oh boy. Thanks, Courtney. That was really great. <laughs> Yeah, that was amazing. I I had so much fun. He was so funny. Like <laughs> watching his reaction to certain things just like cracked me up most of the time. Um, yeah. And if you want to watch his reaction to things, uh, you can check out our YouTube channel where you can see the yeah. interviews now. Yeah. Not to interrupt, but I it was such a good segue that we. It had was to do such it. a good segue. Um. Yes, please like check out the youtube channel we want more subscribers we're posting um all of the interviews moving forward um it's just a new way to engage with us and to to check out the content and so please please join us it's finding my young podcast on youtube um as always, please follow us on other social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Finding My Yum Podcast. We post behind the scenes and quotes and uh, slide into those DMs uh, with any of your recommendations because we're always looking for new guests and we love to bring on the people that you guys are excited about. Yeah, and if you know people that uh, prefer to communicate over email or you want to reach out to us over email for more long-form conversations, you can do that at findingmyyum at gmail.com. Um, and then as always, uh, we super appreciate any reviews you might leave. Uh, so feel free to rate, review, subscribe, and share share with friends because um, we are growing. Five star. and we, Five stars. Uh, five star. And, <laughs> and we, uh, we have a lot of really exciting episodes planned for the next couple of months, and uh, we hope that you guys are going to enjoy it. So let us know. Yeah. Um, we love you. Thanks for being here and being a part of our community. Uh, stay yummy. We'll see you next week.